Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning to you too. I'm Michael Flake, uh, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, both worshiping online and in the YMCA. Don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning, I thought I need to hear penny whistles and cello this morning. And sure enough, sure enough, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As we look to the center of these circles, we ask ourselves, what is it that's at the center of my life? What is it that everything in my life revolves around? Because Jesus Christ has said that he wants to be in the center of our lives. And if we ever invite him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth, everlasting life after earth. I recently heard a sermon by a friend of mine. He's actually the new head of our denomination. His name is Dean Weaver. If you're of a certain generation, you are allowed to say his name to the tune of the song Dreamweaver. And in the sermon, uh, you're very welcome. And in the sermon, uh, Dean asked us to notice that without thinking about it, you breathe in and you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. And then he asked us as we were breathing in to say the word gathered. You were there, TJ, right? He asked us to say the word gathered. And as we breathed out to say the word scattered. And what I learned in this is that I cannot consciously breathe and say a word at the same time. But his point was that as a community, as the church, we have to learn to do the exact same rhythm that our body does naturally. We have to gather in and we have to send out gathered, scattered, gathered, scattered. We learn this rhythm as individuals. We have to learn this rhythm as a church family. We come together with others to grow in our faith or to explore our faith, but then we go out and we live that out in our lives. We gather and we scatter. If we only gather, if we only spend all our time at church events, then how do we share the hope and mercy of Jesus with the world? But if we're only scattered, if we're only trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian, or every once in a while I'll watch a random three minutes of a sermon online, what happens when I burn out and there's no one there to pick me up? So we gather and we scatter as a natural rhythm of what it means to be the body of Christ. That's what we want to look at this morning as we continue our year-long series of sermons. For all of 2021, we're doing this series called The Story with a capital S, trying to go through the big picture of the Bible, that you and I will find our place in what God is doing in this world. So through the first half of the Bible that got us to about July, we kept hearing about this coming hero, this wounded champion called the Messiah, called the Christ, who would establish and lead an eternal kingdom. And then in the second half of the Bible, what we're in now called the New Testament, we're introduced to Jesus, that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ. He's fully God and fully human, the God of all creation, wrapped himself in human flesh and came to earth on a rescue mission for you, for me, to reconcile us to God. He came to establish God's kingdom and to do so in love. That's what his life was about. It's what his death was about. But then on the third day, God raised him from the dead, that Jesus is the conqueror of death. He is the perfect sacrifice vindicated by God in his resurrection. And his invitation remains the same. Come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. Come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. 
So now we're in the later books of the Bible, the book, we're right now in the book of the Bible called Acts, but even in our world today, what we see is that God the Holy Spirit fills up followers of Jesus and empowers them, empowers us to push the good news of Jesus to the very ends of the earth, to push the hope and the mercy of Jesus further out and further in. So what I want to do today is I want to retrace some of the steps of God pushing the hope, uh, the Holy Spirit pushing the hope of Jesus further out and further in, retrace a few of the steps, get us to the passage that Gail read for us earlier, and as we walk through it, give you a couple takeaways from it. As we keep reflecting on learning, as the earliest Christians had to learn, the rhythm of gather, scatter, gather, scatter. Let's start in John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, appears to the disciples and says this to them, that life following Jesus is not about keeping hope to yourself or keeping love to yourself. It is about being sent. So that if you are a follower of Jesus, or today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus says to you, peace, peace be with you. And why does he say that? Because the next sentence, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I'm sending you to be a minister of my reconciliation in this wounded, warped world. So then Jesus said this right before he uh, left his disciples and, and ascended into the sky, but hid by the cloud. When the cloud left, he was gone. And then the disciples realized that it, <laughs> they had, should, should have listened a little better. Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You may remember that two weeks ago I preached on this verse, actually. Of all of my sermons, this was definitely one of the most recent. When we put, that's all that can be said about it, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we entrust our lives to His nail-scarred hands, He sends God the Holy Spirit into our lives, and God the Holy Spirit empowers us to be His witnesses, His ministers, His ambassadors around the world to our immediate area, Jerusalem, to our region, uh, Judea, across cultural or lines of division, Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth, like the Lake Norman YMCA. If you're based in Jerusalem, the Lake Norman YMCA is the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit filled up the original disciples. And after he did this, you may remember the sermon two weeks ago, Peter stands up, preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people commit themselves to Jesus on that day. So overnight, the Christian movement goes from a couple dozen of people to thousands of people. It reminds me of the old Mike Tyson quote. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Everybody's got a plan until your movement grows by 3,000 people overnight. And then there's no playbook. This is what happened. They devoted themselves, this is Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they met, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So these new Christians are bought in. They're ready. They're ready to learn. They're ready to grow. They're ready to spend time together. They're going to encourage each other, care for each other, meet each other's needs. They'll sell property to do it, rearrange schedules to do it. Hey, everybody, Peter said, let's meet back here tomorrow in the temple courts. I'll be there. Will you be there? There's, a, there's an, an enthusiasm here, and it's contagious. This gathered community is so inspirational to the people in Jerusalem that many of them come on to devote their lives to Jesus, that daily people are coming to put their faith in Jesus because of what they see happening in Jesus-centered community, because of what they see happening in the gathered community. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, there's an influx of so many new Christians that the original 12 disciples, who are now called the apostles, the original 12 disciples... I guess minus Judas Iscariot plus his replacement Matthias, those original 12, now called the apostles, changed some things. They've, they call up some new people into roles of leadership. One of those leaders is named Stephen. This was last week's sermon of all the sermons I've preached recently. It was the most recent. And in our passage this morning, Stephen is in real trouble. Because Stephen has been brought before the same group of people that ordered Jesus to be killed. And they are telling him to renounce his devotion to Jesus, especially that he has to renounce this crazy claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Renounce all that, and we can go on about our day. But if you will not renounce that, we will kill you via stoning. Stephen is in a very difficult situation that many, 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 many people have been in since his time. And in that difficult situation, what Stephen actually does, you could read this if you go and read all of Acts chapter 7, what Stephen does is he recounts the overarching message of the Bible. He does his own series called The Story with a capital S. And the listeners are none too pleased because he does not renounce his faith. He actually doubles down on his faith. Jesus, or, uh, Stephen says, if you're going to force me to choose between my life and my Lord, I will not give up my Lord. So the religious leaders are furious. They drag Stephen out of the city and they kill him there. Acts chapter 7, verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I don't know if there's a way to do this passage justice, but I'm going to try. Stephen is the first known Christian martyr, the first person to die because of uh, his or her faith in Jesus, in his case, his faith in Jesus. It tells us something about God's kingdom, that it's not one of the original 12 who's in this position. That perhaps the greatest example of faith in the whole book of Acts comes from someone who never, to our knowledge, walked with Jesus, who was newer to his faith, who was newer to his role in the church. There's always room in God's kingdom for one more person. There's always room in God's story for one more person to have a meaningful role. You may feel like I'm new to the faith or I wasn't here since 
the beginning, or I did so many things wrong, there is always room for a meaningful role for one more person in God's story. As Stephen is dying, he entrusts his spirit into God's hands, and he asks God to forgive the people who are killing him. Does that sound familiar? Has someone else in the Bible already done this? Guesses? Jesus, always a safe guess at church. It was Jesus, in fact. Jesus said almost these exact same things as he was dying on the cross. The point being, Stephen is following Jesus. And God the Holy Spirit is cultivating in Stephen a character like that of Jesus. So that even when he is faced with death, death itself, he understands it, he responds to it in the same sort of way Jesus would. And then as the first follower of Jesus to be martyred, the Scripture is very careful to say that Stephen's death is that he fell asleep. He fell asleep. Because as a follower of Jesus, death is not the end. When we close our eyes for the final time, the capital H hope of Jesus is that we will yet open them once more. And when we open them that last time, who shall we see? We'll come back to that in December. The end of the Bible has a lot to say about that. Acts, 1, Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Well, that's horrible. This guy named Saul was here at the stoning of Stephen. He did not participate with the stone, but he said he would watch the coats of the people who were doing the stoning. That is awful. I bet nothing good is going to come of this guy. The verse continues. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Oh, that's right. Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Had you forgotten about that verse? Don't feel bad. Apparently, Jesus' first disciples had too. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Everybody has a plan until your movement gains thousands of new Christians in one day. And each new day sees more people coming to faith through this transformative caring for each other, teaching the Scriptures, the gathered community. And somewhere in the richness of that gathered community, the importance of being Jesus' ministers in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth got lost. Or at least it got pushed off uh, the front burner to the back burner. The early church started breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, and now God is going to force them to breathe out. And God does it through a time of persecution. That Stephen's death emboldens those who are not fans of Jesus and not fans of his followers to make the lives of Christians miserable, including this joker named Saul. We learn in verse 3 that Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 
for being Christians. That's their crime, for being Christians. Nothing good is going to come of this Saul guy. The persecution got so bad that the apostles, the 12 apostles, told the, the, the Christians, we'll stay here in Jerusalem, we'll do Jesus' mission here in Jerusalem. If you can get out, get out. And that's what happened. A whole bunch of other Christians started to flee Jerusalem to the region around them, which was called Judea. And some of them began to cross a significant cultural line of division, and they went to a neighboring region called Samaria. And we learned that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so, the hope and the mercy of Jesus is going further out as it still is going further into the lives of people who open their heart to Jesus. So Jesus' mission of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth is starting to be realized. The Holy Spirit is starting to push the, the word out. The early church is learning the rhythm of gather, gather and scatter, gather and scatter. What was the catalyst for learning the rhythm? What was the catalyst of forcing them out of gathering in Jerusalem to being scattered to Judea and Samaria? It was persecution. And the Bible doesn't say God caused the persecution, but it is very clear that God used the persecution. God repurposed the persecution. The only reason, this is humbling to think about, the only reason you and I have ever heard about this man named Jesus is because Stephen's death emboldened opposition to the earliest Christians, and that persecution forced them to leave Jerusalem for Judea, Samaria, and ultimately the ends of the earth. That is not to make light of Stephen's death, but it is to make much of God's power to repurpose and redeem even the most tragic of circumstances. So that's a little bit of a walk through the passage. I'd like to now point out just two takeaways, only two today, only two. I spent a lot of my time going through the passage, so only two takeaways today. Things that we might take away from this part of Acts, where the people of God started to multiply in every way, but not just through prayer meetings or planning retreats, but through persecution. Two takeaways. Number one, number one, number, 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 number one, takeaway number one. God, the Holy Spirit's primary work is to make us more like Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit's primary work is to make us more like Jesus. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is going to push the hope and the mercy of Jesus into every nook and cranny of creation. And the primary way the Spirit does this is that He gets folks like you and folks like me and folks like Stephen and billions of other people to be Jesus' witnesses, His ambassadors, His ministers of reconciliation. That means the Holy Spirit is going to have to make us more like Jesus. 
as we start cooperating with the Spirit, as we start cultivating a more Christ-like character in our lives. Stephen is the great example of this, that we might actually come to approach life and love and family and justice and hardship, even approach death itself in the ways that line up with Jesus' character. You and I might be impressed by Stephen's courage in the face of death, but I think Stephen might encourage us to be even more impressed by the Holy Spirit's ability to transform a human life. Stephen wasn't always Stephen, the first Christian martyr. At one point, he was just a dude who got called on to help feed the widows because it wasn't working. So Stephen might encourage us to be uh, impressed by the Spirit's power to transform a human life to cultivate a more Christ-like character in a wounded and a warped person. That's point number one. Point number two is that God is the great repurposer. God is the great repurposer. Acts 8 begins by saying, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. If you read the Bible, you will never hear God officially called the great repurposer. Which is a little bit of a shame. But the idea is there. Because what God does is He takes the persecution that grew out of the Holy Spirit's work in Stephen's life and He made it the catalyst to get everybody back on the mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. In other words, God can repurpose, God can redeem anything. At the end of the first book of the Bible, if you were here back back then in January... (laughs) I think February, actually, you may remember that Joseph, at the end of the first book of the Bible, says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This persecution was designed to stop the hope and mercy of Jesus from spreading, but instead, it spread the hope and mercy of Jesus. What you meant as a red light, God made a green light. What you meant to crush me, God used it to build me up. What you you meant as my misery, God has made into my ministry. That God's strong and steady hand is going to push forward the mission of Jesus, not through this planning retreat or a prayer meeting, but in this case, through persecution. God is the great repurposer, and in His grace, God can use anything, anything. Even the things in our lives that in a godless world would destroy us. God can redeem anything, any situation, any life, any pain, any wrong turn. God can redeem anything, anyone. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it as a red light, and God made it a green light. And the hope and mercy of Jesus goes further out and further in. God builds the character of His children. God teaches us the rhythm of gather, scatter, gather, scatter. Gather for a purpose, scatter for a purpose. Gather for a purpose, scatter for a purpose. So that the hope and mercy go further out.
and further in. So my question for us today as we reflect would simply be this. How is God inviting you into a more purposeful rhythm of gathering and scattering? How is God inviting you into a more purposeful rhythm of gathering and scattering? Holly said it very well. The pandemic has knocked us out of most of our rhythms. That gives us the opportunity to rebuild the most important ones in a more God-honoring way. And you may be like those new 3,000 Christians. You're just, you've just stepped over the line of faith, or, or you're just about to step over the line of faith. And you can start to build from the very beginning of your Christian life this rhythm of gathering for a purpose, scattering for a purpose, gathering for a purpose, scattering for a purpose. Or maybe for you, the, these last months have made you be a little more complacent about the purposeful gathering with others, for worship, for learning, to be encouraged in your faith. And look, this is not a should you be in person or online. I, I, I still get people have different comfort levels and convictions on that, and I totally understand that. But, but whether my community group still meets on Zoom, but we're gathered together. Still asking each other how we can pray for each other. And then I show up here in person every Sunday. And they both can work. But are we being intentional, purposeful about gathering with others to worship, to learn, to be encouraged, to be challenged? Maybe we need to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help us cultivate a more purposeful rhythm of gathering. Or a more purposeful rhythm of scattering. That when we're not together, we're not just getting by until the next Sunday or the next group meeting or the next time my team gets back together. God has you where you are for a purpose. You're scattered on purpose. How do we live out that purpose? Respectfully, gently, with our words, with our actions. That we might not keep the hope and mercy to ourselves, but might be willing to let one more person experience it. My last little note, and, and then I'll call it a day, or I'll call it a day till 11. And then I have a wedding to do this afternoon. I couldn't rack my brain. Why are they getting married on Halloween? And then I realized I never want to forget their anniversary. It's brilliant. And they'll always have chocolates for each other, so that's nice. Do y'all like that? Should I use that in the service? Okay, okay, good. I'll use that then. I do think about this for our whole church, though. What does it mean for our church to be more purposefully gathered and scattered? Not just us as individuals, but us as the, the whole because, as Holly said, at the end of uh, 2021, with the blessing of the whole Lake Forest family, uh, we're going to take our next step of maturity and become a freestanding local church called Story Hill Church. We were raised up as a campus of Lake Forest. We've become mature enough that they think we're ready to be a standalone a local church. This is an exciting step of uh, maturity and faith for us. As part of our long-term commitment uh, to our mother church of Lake Forest, we're going to make sure that two new churches, we're going to work with Lake Forest because we help plant these churches. 
We're going to help them get to sustainability. El Buen Samaritano, uh, the Spanish-speaking church in Huntersville, and then the new church in the University City area. But once we help those two churches get to sustainability, the question is, how will we, how might God call our gathered church to go about the business of scattering to help start new churches? I don't have a set answer yet, except I think what the book of Acts is trying to say is, don't wait for the persecution to come to do it. Experience the joy that comes when you do it willingly. Experience the joy that comes when you do it willingly. So I don't know all of what that means for us, but I do know that my prayer is that God will continue to teach us the rhythm the rhythm we have to relearn every year when we give away graduating seniors and ministry residents, God will continue to teach us the rhythm, get it down in our bones of gather, scatter, gather, scatter. Not just for, for the sake of it, but for a purpose. Gather for a purpose, scatter for a purpose. Gather for a purpose, scatter for a purpose. And as we get that rhythm down in our bones, like our bodies do naturally. I'll be amazed what God might do. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, today may we be inspired by the work you did in Stephen's life. Stephen, who was just a regular old person until he wasn't. Stephen, who followed you even when he didn't know all of what that would mean. But you transformed him from the inside out. And so, Lord, I pray as we see the example of Stephen today that we ourselves might turn to you for the first time or yet again. And we might remember our answer to your invitation, come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. And Lord, as we do that, will you cultivate your character in us? Will you make us more like you? Will you teach us the rhythm of gathering for a purpose and scattering for a purpose? 
And ultimately, Lord, will you repurpose even the hardest things in our lives for our good that you might be praised and that the hope and mercy of Jesus would continue to transform others and ourselves. We pray it all in the matchless name of Jesus, who prayed for forgiveness for those who crucified him. We pray in his name. Amen.